Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast presented by Onyx. The Onyx Hunt app is your premier GPS hunting app that turns your phone into a mobile GPS. And what's cool is it'll link also right back to your computer and you can view the web map, do some scouting there on your lunch break at work and it automatically transfers right to your phone. And just recently, Onyx has launched one of the biggest features, I think, to date on their web map is the 3D mapping. So now you can have a 3D experience and be able to plot your waypoint, see what it looks like in, you know, in real time by being able to switch it and go back and forth between two-dimensional, three-dimensional, topography, overlays, hybrid um, aerial view, whatever you want. There's a bunch of different features that you can use now. If you head over to onyxmaps.com, if you use the coupon code EMW, you will save yourself 20% off of the app. So Tethered. So Tethered has come out with the lightest weight hunting gear available for mobile hunters. And with that being mostly around saddle hunting. So that's where Tethered was founded on. And they had a, you know, the, the people that started Tethered had a a desire to want to to continue to push the limits and push every all the other companies in the industry to try to see what was possible for lightweight gear, but also be very safe at an elevated position. So if you want to take a look at Tethered's products, I'm running their Phantom Saddle and also their Predator platform, head over to their website, tetherednation.com, and they have a ton of resources there for you to check out. Even if you're looking to get into saddle hunting, see if it's right for you. They have a ton of resources to be able to help you out. And University of Elk Hunting. So Corey Jacobson and Elk 101 have put together the most comprehensive elk hunting learning course available. And that's not even just bow hunting. It's, it's rifle hunting. It's everything, muzzleloader hunting, all from the beginning planning stages, all the way through your physical fitness, looking at scouting, looking at what to do while you're actually in the field, game plans, budgeting. I mean, everything from beginning to end, it's all in one place. So if you head over to elk101.com, click on the University of Elk Hunting, use the coupon code EASTMEETSWEST, and you'll save yourself 20% off of a one-year membership. All right, to get into the intro here, so happy October, Bucktober. It is an exciting time of year. The Pennsylvania archery season has opened up, and I actually just got back in. I'm recording this later on in the night, uh, here on Monday night, because I was out hunting this evening, and this evening I just went out after work and... Didn't see any deer, but it had a bunch of coyotes all around me. One was probably about as close to 60 yards, but it was too thick to be able to see him there. Um, but on, on Saturday on the opener, had a great morning. I hunted the edge of this logging clear cut. It's probably about a four or five-year-old clear cut. So it's getting thick, real, a lot of briar bushes. I hunted on the downwind side of it, and I had does 
around me all morning. I mean, they bedded 30 yards from me and it was pretty cool to watch them, how they bedded and how they use that cut. I mean, these does would actually like put themselves in a hole where you couldn't really see them with briars around. I mean, I was sitting 30 yards from a tree and I'd lose sight of them unless I was, you know, watching them the whole time. So it was, uh, it was pretty incredible to watch that. And then, then that evening I saw a small buck and I think that was it. But, uh, some big ones are starting to show up on the cameras, hitting scrapes, a couple of them pretty close to daylight and just really, really love this time of year. It's just, especially, I mean, right now in Northern Pennsylvania, the leaves are all changing. Just a, a really a beautiful time to be out in the woods. So good luck to everyone that's from Pennsylvania or wherever else you're at. I'm sure your deer season is open by now. So good luck to you. And I can't wait to just keep grinding throughout this deer season. So in addition to that, I got a couple different things going on. So tomorrow night, so Wednesday, October 7th, I will be at 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern time. I'm going to be taking part in the Backcountry Hunters and Anglers Filson Skills Night. So I'm going to be basically going through about a 30 to 40 minute presentation and then doing a Q&A session at the end. So I hope that um, if you want to get signed up for the event, you got to head over to the backcountryhunters.org backslash Filson Skills Night. Or if you just type into Google Filson Skills Night BHA, it'll come up and click on the one for October 7th. It says the Pennsylvania Big Woods. And that's my event. Click on it and reserve your spot. So you can check that out live as we do that here. As, as this is being recorded, it'll be tomorrow on October 7th. So definitely head over, check that out. Could do, like I said, a whole presentation on Pennsylvania Big Woods hunting and answer some of your questions there. So that, that should, be a, should be a pretty good time. And last but not least, the caribou hunt film named Above the Circle is going to launch this Sunday. So mark it in your calendars. Subscribe to my YouTube channel, which is Bomartonic. It's going to be going out, I think, probably at 8 p.m. on Sunday, October 11th. So that film will be released. I have seen the final. I have it in my hands, and I am pumped to be able to share that. Uh, obviously, I'm biased to it, but uh, Justin just does an incredible job of putting this together, and I, I don't know. I just, I'm very, very happy with how it turned out. So, fun stuff on the horizon. So, be sure to check out the, the BHA Filson Skills Night and also the Above the Circle Film Launch. But until then, what you came here for is to listen to this episode with a good buddy of mine, Clint Campbell. Clint's been a repeat guest here, and for good reason. He's a, a great guy to talk to. He's a good friend of mine, another podcast host, Truth From The Stand, Deer Hunting Podcast, which is an incredible you know podcast for, for knowledge and everything deer hunting. Clint is a great guy, and today we're talking all about planning a DIY out-of-state hunt and everything that goes along with it and, and freelance hunting and knowing when to set up in a new area and then how he's going through the whole thing with using a cargo trailer for a mobile hunting camp. Well, 
anyways, I uh, hope you guys like this episode. And if you do like the podcast, I seems to be got quite a few new listeners here recently. Please head over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to it and give a rating and review. That helps so much for the podcast, and I really appreciate it. Feel free to reach out to me if you ever have any questions um, by email, Instagram, whatever that might be. It might take me a few days to get back to you, but I promise I will. So definitely uh, check that out and appreciate all of you. Enjoy this podcast with Clint Campbell. All right, we're live. Clint Campbell, what's going on, man? What's going on, buddy? Good to uh, good to see your face, even if it's virtual. Glad to glad to see you back from the uh, the wild frontier of Alaska. Congrats on the uh, on the harvest, brother. Yeah, thank you very much. I appreciate it. It's 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 good to see you again too. But um, normally, you know, last year I felt like I was seeing you all over the place. I know at shows and stuff, and now you know pandemic happened so we don't get to see each other <laughs> well, well you know you, you know what they say distance makes the heart grow fonder so i think we're just i think we're strengthening our relationship <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly as uh, it's yeah it's weird i hadn't seen many people but um yeah i i last time you and i talked we did a we did a podcast on your show um through instagram live that's right, we did. Because I was going to say, well, because we saw each other at Harrisburg, but I think we did the Instagram live thing after Harrisburg, didn't we? Yeah, we did. It was yeah, it was yeah. during it was like April, like during COVID or something that we did oh, that right. whole. Yeah, yeah I for, I almost forgot about that, but yeah. Anyways, it uh, it feels like it's been longer than that, but it's good. Uh, yeah. You know, I guess we talk, we text all the time, and you know, see each yeah. other on the old social media. So it's not like we're really that distant. Right, exactly. I feel like I know exactly what's going on with you. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. Uh, but anyways, Clint, I um, for anyone that uh, doesn't know who you are, um, just give a brief background um, on yourself and, and uh, we'll kind of start rolling into this podcast here. Yeah, man. Uh, you know, Clint Campbell, uh, run the Truth from the Stand deer hunting podcast, um, grew up in Pennsylvania, uh, grew up in, you know, a hunting culture family, you know, started hunting from the time that I was, you know, I don't even remember the first time I went to the woods. I mean, you know, the typical rite of passage, 12 years old, you start, you start hunting with your, with your dad and your grandpa and, and, and all that kind of stuff. You know, I, I would go out with my dad and do a little bit of, you know, uh, dicking around, if you will, whenever I was younger, before I was actually able to hunt. And one of my earliest memories is almost cutting my finger off with his knife, trying to skin a turkey. Um, so <laughs> that's one of that's one of my earliest hunting hunting memories is like uh, it was a pretty good cut for uh, you know, I was five and he was like, hey, go get my knife for me. And I was like, all right. You know, and so when you're five, all you want to do is be your dad. Yeah. You know, and I'm like, you know, and the other thing you want to do is like, oh, I want to help him do man work. You know what I mean? He's skinning a turkey. I'm going to, well, if he asked me to go get the knife, I'm going to take it one step further. I'm going to open the knife for him. Right. And so I'm five and I'm carrying this knife and, you know, there's knives that are kind of hard to open whenever you have a little tiny fingers like that. And so I was opening it up and I, and I had it gripped around like a baseball bat. So I was holding it or like with my thumb around it. Yeah. And I had it almost all the way open and my fingers slipped and the blade sn- snapped shut on my thumb and just whoosh, in that. And that was all she wrote there. So <laughs> almost, almost lost a digit <laughs> on that one. Um, but yeah, otherwise, you know, I, uh, passionate bow hunter, uh, ate up with whitetails, uh, day job is I'm a marketer, you know, I'm just a normal dude. Um, like everybody else that tries to get their, 
their whitetail grind on, I might be a little bit more obsessed than some and maybe not as much as others. Um, but I enjoy, you know, probably predominantly doing a lot of DIY out of state public land hunts and travel hunting. Um, even whenever I'm hunting my home state of PA, I live in the Eastern part of PA. I jump around to a lot of different public. I don't, I don't typically hunt the same public pieces year after year. I kind of, um, you know, I think what I've more tried to do is just try to find where the good deer are at, whether it's through trail, trail camera inventory, um, or glass and fields like this year, you know, kind of paid off for me to this point. Um, you know, and seeing where they might be, even if they're on private and, you know, what pieces of public could they be, be on and then just go try to track them down. Um, you know, I think I've probably changed in the past, probably three years to where it's like, I've just become way more aggressive. Um, I think that also just comes with being comfortable with, you know, um, trying to track whitetails down. You just, you know, you get a little bit more comfortable with them. Things become a little bit more second nature. And so you, you, you amp up the aggression. So I think I've probably taken more of the try to hunt them approach than wait for them approach. Um, and then willing to make mistakes in order to do that. I think you have to be willing to have those failures along the way. Um, but I think the rewards are out far outweigh the failures. I've had, you know, way better encounters and, um, you know, and, and have had way more opportunities being aggressive. I've certainly blown some of them from being aggressive, but you know, I'll take that, um, you know, w- with the addition of the, the, the positive things that I've gotten out of it. So, yeah, no, I think that, I think that's really cool. And it's, it's funny cause I've known you now for, I don't know, three or four years or so, or at least been following you. I don't remember how, when, when we actually met, but looking back at it, like seeing your kind of progression going through that. And, you know, even for myself, like in it, as the more you do it and the more you pay attention to your own, like the own experiences and what you learn from all the mistakes and stuff, then the more confident you become when you have, when you have confidence in what you're seeing and what you're thinking, that that's what kills right there. I, I just truly it, believe that. And, and even though I still, I, uh, for some reason, like when it comes like my first day of my rut vacation, I'm heading in, like I'm slamming the brakes on, turned on this road and then turn around going here. Cause I can't decide where I want to go. But, so I still have some of that, but in, in, right. for the most part, like I can walk through an area, like even today I was out scouting and be like, this, this looks like, if I sat here for a few days, I'd be doing pretty yeah. well. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that was the biggest thing, you know, and, um, you know, you and I are fortunate to where it's like, we have these, you know, these shows that we run and, you know, we have, have the fortune of, you know, um, having access or, you know, having conversations with some guys that are just killers, you know, and being able to pick their brains and stuff like that. And, you know, the one thing, you know, I've always kind of picked up from them is that, you know, all sign is not created equal and, and it just takes time of doing it to where you then just start to, you start to trust your eyes and what you're seeing and, 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 and being able to validate what you're seeing in context to where, for where you're at, you know? And, and I think that that's a big, big, big piece of it. I think a lot of people kind of, you know, I think most white toe hunters recognize sign, right? Like they, they know when they see a rub, they know when they see a scrape, you know, and, you know, maybe folks that maybe take it a little bit further might, you know, recognize tracks or whatever and, and stuff like that. But, you know, it's really about understanding. I'll give you an example. And what, what I mean by that is like there's there's some big woods pieces that I, that I hunt, you know, in the Midwest. Um, and on camera, I'll have multiple Boone and Crockett deer. Right. If you looked at the sign that was in that area, you would never in, in a million years think that there are in one particular on one camera specifically that there are two Boone and Crockett deer that their core, that their core ranges overlap. Just looking at the sign, you would never believe it because there's not a, there's not a rub 
on a tree bigger around than my forearm. And it's not, and it's not tall. It's not completely tore up and the scrapes are small, you know what I mean? And they're, and they're really kind of spread out, but that's about as good as it's going to get for a lot of that, you know, in that, in that particular piece. And so that just kind of took time to recognize because I see bigger rubs and stuff laid down around where I'm at in Pennsylvania by four corns than what I see in those in those, you know, in those woods by much bigger deer. And so it takes time to start to trust your eyes and be able to kind of quickly understand and contextualize like I'm saying I'm seeing this sign here. This is what I expect to see and what I should be seeing. And it might not be as much as you would see somewhere else, but you have to think about it in relationship of the type of terrain in the type of area that you're hunting in. It's like big woods deer and low deer densities, a lot more spread out typically, right? My experience is I haven't seen nearly as much sign as most of the guys I've talked to kind of say the same thing for the most part. You'll get some, you'll get some like oddities where you will see some heavier sign, but a lot of times it seems like it's, it's much more limited than if you were in like farm country with a lot of structure where the deer are all kind of being funneled in specific ways into specific areas, Yeah, you know? So Oh, I, I can, I can totally agree with that. And, and to a point, like there was an area where I was hunting my biggest deer where I knew there was one that was over 170 inches and a couple others that were over 150 living this area. And I never found a big rub ever in there. I found some decent scrapes, but never found any big rubs. And it blew my mind. Like if I were to just, if I were to take me even even well actually it was five you know six years ago when i first found the spot i didn't and if i wouldn't have thrown cameras up in there like if i would have scouted it probably in the spring i wouldn't have went back but i just looked good on a map so i took cameras in the summer for inventory and that's how i figured it out otherwise yeah to a common person that you wouldn't think of it but then i can go to another big wood spot that say in an area that has uh, higher deer density there's no, even in pennsylvania i can drive an hour and a half and be in a spot that's higher deer density and there's like more terrain features where like i feel like all the bucks are fighting for this point you know to bet on out on right. the edge and i feel like they lay down more sign than some of the I, I don't know it's just a it's but what you're the whole point of that is just being able to identify that and yeah. And depending on where you're at, you know, and then you go to Ohio, there's spots in Ohio I'd go to that there'd be scrapes the side of truck hoods. And I'm like, what? And they're like a perfect circle. I'm like, I, I don't get it. But then they were only right. working them at, they, were, they weren't even primary scrapes. Like they were working yeah. them at night and it was just. It, yeah. Weird. Yeah. It's, it's almost like I view, you know, I think the one thing is like, as a, when I think about sign, it's like, I almost view it like real estate. Cause that's really what they're doing, right? They're communicating, but they're laying down real estate <laughs> to a degree and it's location, location, location with real estate. Right. Yep. And so to me, it's like the signs the same way. It's like, where, where's it at, you know, and what's it up against. Right. And it's like, cause you know, scrapes on a field edge or along a logging road or whatever, that's kind of like open or whatever doesn't mean nearly as much if I'm walking by it if you know unless there's like i'm outside of like a known bedding area a doe bedding area or there's like ex- extensive you know side cover or security cover that's like right there and adjacent to the to the scrape or whatever the case is then all of a sudden you know spidey senses start to go off a little bit we were like okay this is a place where a deer could get lost really easily right and it's also one of those places what i started figuring out with some of the like the scouting i've done like in some of the big woods pieces is like some of those like really um nondescript places where like scrape you're like this is kind of like a random place for a scrape to be you know and then all of a sudden like there'll be like a rut bed 
off the side in like this side cover where there's clearly like a buck that's just going to lay there and wait for a doe to come by to hit that scrape and he's going to intercept her there as opposed to chasing her because you know in those big wood settings like there's not as much traffic right so you got to kind of prioritize the places where those are going to be versus trying to go find them and so it's just a little bit of a different you know shift whenever you depending on where you're hunting and the sign that you're looking at and you know what the deer what and how the deer are actually using it yeah i yeah i could i could i couldn't agree anymore and like like what you're you know, kind of what I wanted to get into on this episode relates directly to that in the fact that, you know, when you're starting to hunt different places and, you know, plan out of state hunts, you know, a lot of the times you're not able to go there and scout it ahead of time, or you might, you know, mm-hmm. might not ever hunted these areas before, you know, it might be say like you last year in Iowa, you had a draw tag. It took you what, four years to, yep. to draw a tag or, you know, it's, whatever the situation might be, you don't have that that knowledge that you have from hunting, you know, your home state or places you hunt year mm-hmm. after year. And or like seems like for you and I, a lot of times we're hunting different spots, even in our home state. But, yeah, you know, yeah. being able to read that sign is killer. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, um, you know, and I can talk a little bit about those travel hunts and stuff like that and how I start to tear some of that stuff apart to try to make a plan, so to speak. But, you know. I, it's paid a huge dividends in doing those out-of-state travel hunts, even in my home state, because what I've started to do is I've actually started – I don't want to say I scout less. I don't spend – I scout more on different pieces, if that makes sense. Like I don't spend nearly as much time on one piece as I would have in the past. I prioritize hitting a lot of places and spending very little time and in, in checking out like the best 10% of that that piece, and then I'm, and then I'm on to the next you know what I mean? And so that was kind of like the pandemic this year because I was home all the time. I literally scouted every piece of public land that was within 30 minute drive of my house. Yeah. Every Saturday and Sunday I would get up and I would just go scout. But it wasn't like I spent, you know, 10 days scouting a piece of public. It's like I spent 10 days and I scouted, you know, 15 pieces of public. You know what I mean? Some days I would hit two, you know, yeah. where I would just like speed scout through and see what I'm going to find. And because it's like those out of state hunts, when you're traveling and you're having to kind of make those decisions on the fly because you can't scout it, 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 it um, forces you to have a discerning eye for one reading maps because you don't have a lot of time to make mistakes like macro mistakes. You can make some micro mistakes like in those moments where it's like you're, you're in the wrong spot by a hundred yards or whatever. Like you can make those changes. Like that's not going to screw your whole trip up. But if you make the mistake of like choosing the wrong piece, like that screws your whole trip up. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so you have to quickly be able to qualify a piece and that, you know, it, it all starts like basically from like e-scouting and figuring out like, you know, well, I'd back up even further and just kind of goal setting. Like what type of hunt do you want to have? Like what caliber deer do you want to hunt? I mean, it's going to dictate like what state you're going to go to, what zone you're going to try, try to draw or whatever the case is. And then a lot of what you typically would do, even if you're in your, in your home state, you know, you really start to zone, hone in on, you know, what are some of those counties or whatever that would have those caliber of deer or the experience that I want to have, right? And then you kind of go down even further and you start to say, all right, now within these counties or these zones, you know, what pieces of public look appealing to me? Are you looking to have a challenge where you hunt different terrain than you've hunted before? Then, you know, then that's that's part of your criteria. Or are you trying to say, you know, there's enough, uh, there's an, a, enough up in the air as it is, I need to hunt terrain that I'm going to be familiar with. That way, at least I'm walking into it going, I know how to hunt hill country, so I'm going to hunt a piece of hill country somewhere. You know what I mean? And so 
And to me, that's like the, that's the beginning of it, narrowing it down. For me, I usually like, I usually just try to go where I think I can get away from the most pressure and that's going to have the most diverse, diverse habitat. That's going to give me a lot of different opportunities. I don't want to necessarily get into a place that's like completely a a homogeneous kind of habitat landscape because I feel like, I feel like then at that point it becomes a lot harder to tell what the deer are going to do and how they're going to use it. And when you have diversity, you now all of a sudden, anytime you have diversity, you start to have edges, you know, and that's the quickest way for me at least, you know, and it might be uh, the layman's way, or maybe it's the uneducated person's way of like dissecting things quickly is I'll just immediately go to edges and start walking them whenever I get there, you know, and I'll might spend the first whole day of the trip, two days of the trip, just walking edges and trying to find where I'm, if there's congregated sign anywhere where there's like a, you know, a bunch of trails that are kind of running together. And sometimes I'll even hop on one of those trails and just start walking it out and see where, and see where it's going, you know, but you're going to lay your scent down. Yeah, I know. I was just gonna. I was just gonna say that it's like, you know, I was just gonna say it'll make it'll make people cringe, right? Because that's a lot of times like you don't want to walk on these deer trails and stuff like that. But it's like, you know, the best intel you can ever have is to know where the deer are at. So yeah. kick them up, like move them. You know what I mean? I'm not saying you want to go in day after day after day and move them, but it's like if you're there to, and you have a five day hunt, you can't chip away at the outside. Like you got to get up in their business and you got to hunt them, not wait on them. Yeah. You know, it's like, this so, is so different than hunting, you know, a farm that you have access to that's say 60 acres or whatever. That's a whole different thing than what we're talking yeah. about here. We're talking. Yeah. It, totally. I, yeah. I, yeah, I, I think that's a, you know, a, a big thing where there's this, you know, the two sides of the fence as far as aggression and, and, yeah. you know, being patient with things. And I think it all depends on, again, what you just said, what your goals are and then what the hunt you're actually doing is. That's if you're doing a five to seven day out of state hunt, you don't have time to, to really mess around and, and play it safe on a lot of things. Yeah. I mean, there's some, there's some pieces around here around me where I live in Eastern PA that are smaller pieces of public. Like when I say smaller, I've hunted things as small as like 15 acres, 60 acres, 25 acres up to like a couple thousand acres. Right. And so those pieces that are smaller, I have to take a much different approach. I scout those and I basically know on those pieces, the one, maybe two spots that is going to have a mature deer walk through it, either live that, live there, bed there, or is going to use it to get to a piece of doe bedding somewhere that I might know of during the rut. Right. And that's going to be, it's like, there's going to be two spots. And so if I go to hunt that on a Saturday or whatever, I kind of beeline my way there and I check for sign along the way to see if anything new has popped up and kind of still hunt my way there. But if when I get there, the sign isn't there that I think is supposed to be there, I'm out of there and I'm moving on to the next piece. Like I'm not hunting it because I just, because I'm there. It's like, well, I'm here. I might as well hunt it. It's like, no, it's like I'm, I'm moving to the next spot and trying to figure out where the deer are at. Like I'm not throwing a wasted hunt just because I walked a mile, you know? Yeah. And and you have to, what you said, like you have to throw out even like those predetermined thoughts on, you know, and that's something that I still struggle with a lot of times. Like if I either from past sign or scouting, I think of something's like going to be dynamite and it's not exactly what I thought. You got to let that go and just keep, keep moving on. You know, that's the thing for me when I was saying, like, I think the out of state stuff has made me a much better hunter because I, a lot of the out of state stuff, I, I freestyle hunt most of that. So for example, I'm, you know, I'm going to Missouri this year. I was in Iowa last year and Iowa, even though I went out in March and I scouted where I ended up hunting for, 
you know, I was there 15 days and out of those 15 days, I think 10 of the days that I, that I hunted, I ended up hunting on a piece of public that I'd never scouted before that I'd never walked through. And I just freelance hunted that whole thing. That's where I ended up killing that buck. And, and what it has done kind of is that, you know, I, it, it was a really freeing feeling. And I, so I adopted it and started doing that even on pieces that I'm familiar with because of what it did. I'll still quote from, you know, Zach Farrenball, whenever I had him on the show, we were talking a lot about just because I, I really appreciate the way he hunts is like he's very mobile. He's very strategic, but it's like when you watch him hunt, you kind of look at you're like, what the hell is this guy doing? Like there's not you don't almost feels like there's not a rhyme or a reason, but it's because, you know, one thing he mentioned to me at one point and it's just kind of stuck with me was he starts out without an end in mind. And so when he walks into the woods, he's just going to hunt. He doesn't have an idea of where he's going to end up. He has a general area where he would like to be, yep. right, from prior knowledge maybe or something he saw on trail camera or whatever. But he's kind of letting the woods kind of speak to him and let it tell him where he should be, right? And so you may end up completely in a different spot than you had anticipated because you should just be following the sign and, and letting it tell you where the deer are spending time and not going to this tree because it's like, well, I scouted this. I had a camera close by. I know there was deer here. I'm gonna. This is where I'm going to hunt. Like that to me is the same kind of rationale as the person that, you know, complains on Facebook that, you know, there's no deer on Pennsylvania game lands anymore because they've hunted the same spot for 25 years, even though the habitats around them's changed. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, you know, yeah. so it's, it's the same kind of, you know, mentality to me. Um, and it's just been very freeing to kind of take that freelance approach and that just be the way I hunt. I don't want to necessarily know what is around the next corner because I don't want to be influenced by, um, I don't want to chase ghosts, put it that way. Yeah, man. Yeah. And and actually, so when this podcast releases the time we're recording, it's a few weeks before. And the the episode that comes out before yours, I did with Zach Farrenball. I actually recorded it a month and a half ago. And and man, I was a, that was a refreshing conversation. Like he's an awesome guy to interview. And, and I'm actually going to title the, the podcast Making Hunting Fun Again, because it's like he just, the way he goes about it is so non-conventional and it's so awesome at the same time. Like yeah. it, um, being able to do that because I mean, all of us get caught into that and I, I'm trying not to in my own spots. I was, I, I actually had to sit down and look at myself. I'm like, all right, I'm, I was becoming more successful on out-of-state hunts than I was at home. And I yeah. was like, and, you know, there's different other things involved in that too. But at the same time, I had more time to hunt in Pennsylvania. It was taking me longer to, to kill a deer than it was when I go on these other hunts. And I really took it to like, I, I'm more, I was more apt to a adapt as I go because I didn't know the area as well where I was running a lot of preconceived notions in Pennsylvania and trying to trying to get out of that you know there's there is a really big thing to say about past knowledge and you know and a lot of especially rut spots they will you know do year after year but at the same time um, being able to adapt to what's actually going on right yeah no I, I agree with you I mean there's 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 a benefit to know, knowing a place you know, for, for sure, you know, and I don't want to dis I don't want to discount that. I think, I think what it does though, is sometimes we're, we're prisoners of our own information, you know, and, and that's the part for me that I was recognizing. Cause I, I was the same way as you. It's like, I was killing stuff out of state and, and eating tags in Pennsylvania. You know what I mean? Like that was pretty, pretty consistent, you know? Um, and it was when I finally realized like, 
man, I, I hunt differently out of state. Like I, I actually hunt when I'm out of state, when I'm in Pennsylvania, I wait, yep. you know, and that was, that was what I recognized. And I was like, you know what? And part of it is too, is like, you know, there's, uh, you know, when I travel out of state, you know, much like you do, it's like, I'm going to states that have a little bit more of a target rich environment. Right. And so there's a certain caliber of deer I'd like to, you know, or maturity of deer that I'd like to try to go after. And they're not necessarily, especially here in the Eastern part of PA, it's like, they're not always readily available. You know what I mean? Like if you get a three and a half year old around here on public land, like that's, he's pushing, he, <laughs> he's, he's working on borrowed time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Know? Yeah. You, you know what I mean? Where it's like, you know, you go to Ohio, Iowa, Missouri, whatever. It's like, yeah, four and a half year old, five year old. You know what I mean? Like you, you, you can find those, you know what I mean? Um, and so, you know, some of it was, is maybe, you know, expectations in PA were probably maybe a little bit more lofty, you know, cause when I go out of state, you know, it, for me, it's anything Pope and younger better is like, is getting an arrow stuck in it. Cause it's public land, freelance hunting and not having any pre- prior knowledge of the piece, you know? And so, it just feels a lot more free because I'm able to actually hunt and react on instinct all the way around. Yep. Like my decision to kill a deer on those trips isn't like, do I have trail camera pictures of him and, and, and who is he? It's like, did I just get super excited? Yep. That deer's getting an arrow. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, and that's the, and that's the criteria, you know? Um, but speaking of like, you know, that trip to Ohio or that trip to, you know, Iowa and then kind of the, you know, the juxtaposition to, to Missouri, it's kind of like a perfect setup because, you know, I was kind of forced into that to a degree in that trip in, in Iowa, which was just to kind of freelance hunt the whole thing. And so, you know, it, it gives me a little bit more of a, a sense of comfort as I'm getting ready to go to Missouri and I've not stepped foot in Missouri a day in my life. You know, it's like I've looked at I've looked at maps. Um, there's a piece of river bottom I think I'm going to try out first. Um, and I've never hunted river bottom in my life. You know, and so I'm kind of looking at the maps and, you know, I mean, the thing is, it's like you rely on friends of yours that you have, that have experience there. You know, I give you an example. I was, I was talking with the, the big buck serial killer, Mr. Enfault, you know, I did a series with him on the, on the podcast and we were talking, we were texting about something and I said, Hey, I think I'm going here in Missouri. I was like, but I've never hunted river bottom. And I was just asking him, I was like, Hey, are there any beasts, you know, guys on the hunting beasts out there that you think are just like killers at hunting river bottoms? I was like, I'd like to just see if I can get in touch with them, maybe have a conversation, get some pointers or whatever. And he's like, tell me where you're going. And I was like, cool. So I told him where I was going and he sends me a picture of a map back. And it's like, check these three spots out. They're going to be bedded here. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. So, <laughs> you know what I mean? So, you know, it, it's not, you know, I don't want to sound like it's like I take all the credit necessarily because I'm, you know, like I said at the beginning, you know, you and I are in a position we're very fortunate where we get to talk to these guys who are high level hunters and get to pick their brains and pick up tips from them and stuff like that. And so my success is really a, a result of, of these guys, you know, that we've had on our shows and stuff like that, that are willing to share information and help, help other hunters out. You know, they're as much responsible for it as I am. I was just willing to listen to it and then go try it and then not be afraid to fail at trying it in order to overcome the learning curve it takes to start to use those tactics and strategies consistently. Yeah. And how, and what's, what's cool about what you said there is that takes a lot. And I think hunters struggle with this a lot is almost as much. We don't want to admit it is letting down your own ego of what you think, you know, and letting others, you know, I learned that a lot, even with completely different style of hunting. But when I went to Alberta and hunted with Jim hole, um, you know, completely different style, but I went there with an open mind to saying, I'm going to listen to what he says 
and do what he says. Like that's, and, and then even like learning from other people that, you know, trying to learn from them open mind, not just like trying to overpower what I think I know, but letting other people Mm -hmm. be able to, you know, open your mind up a little bit. And like you said, be, don't be afraid to fail. Right. Yeah. I think the, you know, one of the biggest things as far as like going back to like the whole idea of freelance hunting and like doing some of these travel hunts where you're kind of walking in blind is like, there's a couple things you can do really quickly that are going to, you know, screw your hunt up, you know, screw your hunt up pretty quick. Right. I think, you know, one is just kind of thinking about the time of year that you're going in and understanding what you're going to be looking for, like the types of things you're going to look for, you know, if you're doing an October hunt are going to be vastly different than what you're going to be looking for if you're headed out in, you know, late October, early November. Right. And so I think it's like having the right mind frame and understanding what you, what you're going to be expecting to see. Right. Cause if I'm going out there in October or if I'm out there now, you know, I'm probably going to focus on hunting bedding or getting in between bed and food. Right. But for me personally, it's like, I'd probably focus on trying to get close to beds because I don't want to get dark deered as things are trying to get to whatever the primary food source is, you know? And so, and with that, probably going to have to go kick some deer up out of bed. You know what I mean? And and I wouldn't be too worried about them having a, a significantly adverse reaction to it because you're early in the season. They haven't had a lot of hunting pressure at this point. You can probably get away with some shenanigans and walk through an area and kick a couple deer up and be like, okay, I know they're bedding in this general area. Go back to my map. What are the most logical ways from them to exit this bedding area to get whatever to whatever primary food source or primary food destination they're trying to get to, right? And then that's when you that's how you make your game plan, right? Yep. Like you you set up that way. I personally, you know, I, I almost call it kind of like a cheat code. I prefer to like make these travel trips like late October, you know, into November, only because you know I'm looking at trying to have you know increase my odds of seeing something walk during daylight, you know. Um, but with that, there's still some things like you need to consider, you know, I mean, for me, it's like, I'm a big, I'm a big, you know, primary scrape, you know, primary scrape guy. Like that's pretty much what I'm going to prioritize. Like I'm going to want to see signs, sign of life, (laughs) you know what I mean? Somewhere before I'm going to decide to, you know, to hunt it. Um, you know, I, I think at that time of year too, there's, there's a few things, you know, for example, it's like, you know, uh, if it's late October, you know, finding like an oak that's dropping or whatever, maybe leaves are falling. Right. And I learned this tip from John Eberhart and it's actually kind of genius. And I never thought of it. And one of the things he was saying, and I used it a little bit last year was when you walk into a piece of timber and you're in that later time frame, whenever, you know, leaves are now falling or whatever. And maybe you're, maybe you're not able to find scrapes. Maybe you're just not finding like the right primary scrape set up that has like, you know, bedding cover or whether it's like, you know, a security cover or whatever the case is, you know, and you're trying to find that lone oak, out in the oasis, right? But like you're looking for a needle on a haystack in some, you know, in some instances, right? And so getting a, a vantage point, you know, trying to get some elevation because the oaks are typically, white oaks are typically going to be the last to hold their leaves. And so if you can look out over like an, a valley or something like that, or like a, a depression or like a low spot or whatever, you should be able to kind of pick out what's still holding. It's not 100%, but at least gives you a direction of like that tree still holding that's a, there's a good possibility. It could be an oak. Now, whether it's dropping or not, I don't know, but it might be the only piece of data that you have to make a move on to start your scout then from that point. And when you get there, it might not be that, that there's oaks there, you know, and maybe they've eaten all the oaks already, but is there, is there other sign there that's laid down now that you can now start to use to start to piece a puzzle together, you know? And so it's, it's all those things. It's like, it's picking up the nuance of things on these travel hunts. Like everything is a puzzle piece, you know, along the way. And 
I think when we hunt our own areas so often, like we get so conditioned to overlook all those things that are critical when you're not familiar with an area that make all the difference, you know, that basically make all the difference in the world. And a lot of times are the difference between releasing an arrow and not releasing an arrow. Yeah. And it's like, almost like your senses are heightened. Like, yeah. like when I, uh, even today when we were out scouting, I was, my girlfriend went with me and, and, you know, she's not used to being in the woods much. And we were like coming out and it was dark and, and walking without a headlamp. And, and I was like, just like joking with her. I'm like, you afraid at all? And she's like, no, it's just, it's funny how much heightened your senses are. Cause you're not used oh, yeah. to it. You know, it's something that's different and you just, yeah. you're focused more on things. And I kind of correlate that with hunting a new place or an out of state hunt, whatever that might be is your, your senses seem to be heightened. And if you can apply that to even the spots you've hunted forever, like you can, I yeah. think it's really important. And, you know, that's why I love even looking at maps, even of areas I've hunted forever, like constantly looking at them, checking out, like you said, edges are my favorite. Mm-hmm. You know, if I can find topography and vegetation edges that meet money, like I, I need to check out those spots, you know, I need to. Yeah, a hundred percent, hundred percent, man. I mean, I think, you know, sometimes it depends on like where you're hunting, like, you know, sometimes that's harder to pinpoint if you're looking like in hill country or whatever, cause they're not sometimes maybe not quite as defined unless there's like a clear cut or something yeah, like that. That's yep. really, that's really obvious. The one place that it is really obvious, and this is ex- exclusively how I basically hunt swamps is, you know, a guy like an infold or whatever, he can look at a swamp and he can kind of tell you like where he's going to go. Like, it, cause he's been hunting swamps like all of his life. Right. Swamp hunting for me, it's like, I've really only been doing it probably super actively for like three years. And you know, people will say to me, it's like, oh, it's easy. Like, you know, you can really easily figure out where they bet. Well, it's like, I've never hunted a swamp a day in my life growing up. It was all completely new to me, you know? And so I, I kind of, I always say it's like, it's the cheat code. Like I just go in and I find all the edges because those are really obvious in swamps, right? And you just start following those and those will eventually take you to where the deer are going to aggregate and where they're going to spend time. Yep. You know, it might take you a little longer, right? Um, because you might have to walk a bunch of edges to figure out like what edge they're using and where that edge ultimately is taking them to and like where they headed to afterwards. But if you do that, you'll end up finding, you'll end up finding the sign because they're going to follow that edge and they're going to start to lay down sign at some point along that edge. And then from there, you just start to follow wherever their sign is taking you to. Yep. And, and I, I think of that even there's a, a big wood spot I hunt that probably has some of the bigger bucks that I've ever hunted. And I struggle with it forever because there wasn't much topography and mm-hmm. it was a lot of, not like your cattail swamps you're thinking of, but they're swampy areas and big swamps and stuff that are in there. And that's what I started doing, just looking at the edges that, and they're yeah. clearly defined on, I go on Onyx and I'm able to see all these edges and yeah, you walk them far enough and just keep going. You'll find those type of areas and those, then you'll find some of the pinch points and different things that you, you know, you typically hear about and then in, and, you know, hopefully lead to, you know, where they're bedding and, and stuff there. So, yeah, I mean, there was, there was a hunt last year and it was, I ended up throwing a camera up on this piece of public, like on the opposite side. And I ended up finding, um, you know, for this area, it was a good deer. He was probably like a little over 125, maybe 130 inches or whatever. It looked like he was probably three and a half years old, decent deer for this area. Um, and I had just like one or two pictures of him and I was, you know, I was thinking about where he might live, like once he shifted or whatever. And there was this other kind of section of that public that was close to this swamp. And so I went on like, just like a, never hunted it before, never hunted that piece before. I literally was driving by my truck one day and I was like, well, that's public land. I'm going to pull in here and put up a camera. (laughs) That was basically how I decided to put it up. Right. And then 
when I walked into hunt, I could see that there was like this swamp kind of section, like in the one side of it. And there were all these, like there, there was like this little, you know, it looked like a grove almost right now. Had no clue what it was. I thought it might've been like some CRP type of stuff or just like grassy, you know, field or whatever. And so I was, you know, I was like, I'm going to walk toward that and just kind of see if what signs, you know, over that way. And then if I don't see anything good there, it's like, I'll just start making my way toward the swamp and try to find the edge, you know, and then see if I can find something good to set up on. I ended up walking back through there and ended up finding a primary scrape area. Long story short was that deer came out and I just couldn't see my pins to get a shot at him. I had him at like 15 yards and I couldn't, I couldn't get a, couldn't get a pin on him with enough light. So I ended up letting him walk. So I went back this past off season and scouted the edge of that swamp. And I found a killer pinch point along this edge where there's like cattails. It's, it's really weird. It's this old light line that runs through there and it's all like cattails in the swamp. And then there's a swamp on the, on the private side. And you can see the trail that they're walking through out of that swamp in between these two huge boulders, making their way onto that, onto that public. And so, I mean, that's why I have a camera now this year. And that was all because of a freelance hunt. I mean, Mm -hmm. I just, I found some really good signs set up on it and, you know, ended up having a good deer come through. And then, you know, the, the second part of that was, okay, what edges is he, is he using to kind of travel and how is he getting from point A to point B? Let me figure that out. So now I know I need to be about 70 yards back into the timber next to that swamp on that edge. And that's probably where I'm going to get my best opportunity. If he's alive or not, I don't know you know, we'll, we'll see. But that, to me, that's a good spot just in general to see deer. Yeah. And that was that, that edge that kind of led me to that ultimately. So when you're, when you're going and say you're freelance hunting these new spots and you're, you're going in, you're scouting, you're walking these edges or, or whatever your strategy is at the time going into it, what makes you decide like, I'm going to hunt, are you going to hunt right now? Or are you going to find good sign and keep going? Do you try to see better sign? Are you putting in like a, a certain amount of time before you decide to hunt? Or if you just find something that looks freaking killer, this primary scrape on the edge of some thick stuff or whatever it might be, are you just hunting right now? Or what is your kind of, do you have yeah. like a set in stone strategy or does it kind of go back and forth? No. So I think I've walked past really good sign in the past too many times. Um, so what I've started doing, um, is I, I really kind of hunt more like a, I, I try to hunt more like a predator where it's like, as soon as I see opportunity, I stop and I try not to have fear of missing out of what's around the next bend. So as soon as I see a, a, a piece of sign or something laid down, be it a rub, be it a scrape, be it a bed, be it, you know, a lone oak tree in a swamp or whatever the case is. As soon as I find that thing that my instincts say, you, you need to stop here. I don't second guess it anymore. Cause I've second guessed myself out of spots that I probably should have hunted in the past. And so, you know, I've just, I think I've probably screwed up more hunts doing that than anything else. And I've just started trusting more of my intuition. And it goes back to what we were talking about earlier, which is like that confidence, right? It's like whenever I see us, when I see sign now and I decide I'm going to stop and hunt it, I'm hundred percent confident I'm going to kill something there. You know what I mean? Otherwise I'm not stopping. And that, and so for me, it's like, I don't, you know, I don't think about what could be down the trail a little bit further but it also goes back to contextualizing where you're at. When I killed that buck in Iowa, so I missed one. <laughs> I missed one like two different times. I missed the same deer two different times on like a couple different days. I actually had had four encounters with that buck. It was like a mid 180s, you know, eight or a mid 140s eight point. Um, and uh, I ended up missing him the first time over a primary scrape area. And I ended up walking past probably like 12 scrapes in order to get to that primary scrape area. You know, and so to answer your question, it's like, 
you know, in Pennsylvania, those 12 scrapes that I passed by probably would have been meant something completely different to me. Mm-hmm. Right. But because of where I was at, I knew what I was kind of looking for. I knew the sign I had seen in other places and that wasn't the Holy Grail yet. When I saw that primary scrape area, there were six scrapes within like a five yard area, a bunch of licking branches torn up. And then like a couple more scrapes down this, like down this trail that I could see. And I was like, and then there was a rub that was neck high. And I was like, shaving still on the ground so it had been done like within the past like probably like day or so the the ground at the scrapes were still pawed up and kind of fluffed so you could see like the dew kind of smashed it down but it was still like that fluffy kind of stuff and so immediately i was like the kill him yeah got to the tree in an hour later that deer walked by you know and so you know it's it's contextualizing again like where you're at what sign you're seeing but then also don't second guess yourself out of a spot that's killer you know, yeah. like you'll do that more times than not. There's not always something down the trail that's better. You know, yeah. if you see something where you're like, man, this looks good, hunt it yep. immediately. I, 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 I'm totally in your, your boat there because like, and when you find one of those areas, it feels so good. I mean, I, I think of like a spot that was by accident where I kind of essentially came across that was, it was back in 2009. I was going to help my uncle drag his deer out he shot one and text me i read his directions wrong from a text and i he said to follow this little stream up and i crossed this big creek bottom and walked completely wrong direction i was like i'm over a mile and a half from where he was and i started finding this spot that was just big scrapes like a scrape line that was just it just smelled like a running buck and it was just incredible and then you know so i left at that point to go figure out where he actually was and then i came back in there and two days later i killed my oldest deer still to date um uh, hunting those spots and it was just because it was like hot sign now like this is what was going on and just essentially hunted it and it was you know i would have hunted it that day if it wouldn't have been for me i had a different agenda then but um it's just, right. it's, it is when you know, when you find a spot that's just like killer. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the thing is too, it's like, you know, it's not like, I, I don't want to make it sound like I just pass by stuff and I like on a whim hunt it. It's like, I'm asking the questions. Why would I, why, I mean, you should always answer the question. Why should you hunt it? You know, and you should have plausible answers, you know? And so those places that I, that I would set up on, it's like, I would look at it and be like, okay, if I were to analyze that spot, it'd be primary scrape area, fresh rub fresh scrape next to side cover. Like it's the Holy grail. Like yeah. you should not walk, you should not walk past that. Right. But I've also hunted spots that were more subtle. And so when, where I ended up catching up to that deer and ultimately missing him a second time. And it's, just, it's the place where I ended up killing the deer that I killed. You know, it was a lot less subtle, but there was more sign back in the timber. And it was like aggressive gouges, like in a tree with like brow tines, like in cedar trees. Right. And I had scouted this ridge rim and I found like two beds and a scrape back there. So I knew they were spending time back there. And the way the thermals were playing in that one spot where I where I had missed him, it, it was just he had the upper hand and I knew it from watching him. Like he had the thermal advantage on me at that spot. He was getting a little swirl and a little kick up on this knoll where he was able to win, where he was scent checking and just wasn't comfortable. So I needed to push back into his business and get all up in his shit. And I, I knew if I got back in the, into that area, that would be where I would ultimately kill a deer. And it was literally where I ended up killing the buck that I killed. Like I ended up bumping a buck out, 
on a scout. And again, goes back to like, I needed to find where the deer were at because they had the upper hand on me. Like they were constantly had the, had a slight advantage, like not enough to blow them out, but enough where I just couldn't get the optimum opportunity. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I pushed back in cause I knew I was like, if I can get back there along this draw and give him the wind, but not give him an opportunity to get downwind to me because this draw is open. He'll not be able to get downwind and scent check me. He'll have to come past me. You know what I mean? And that was exactly, that was exactly what happened. And so it was like, it's playing out those reasons why, you know, and being strategic about your, your choices and not necessarily making them on a whim. I mean, that's, that's different, right? It's not just making a choice for the, for choice sake. It's like having a, you know, a, a rhyme to a reason as to why you're going to set up where you're going to set up. But knowing that when you do that, have all the confidence in the world that you're going to kill there. Yeah. Yep. And yeah, that's, that's a, such a good point too, is yeah, it's not when you find good sign, there's a reason why you're saying that, like just coming across a scrape means one doesn't mean anything unless you, everything else kind of falls into place with it, you know? And I, right. I, uh, <clears throat> I've talked about it before cause I'm a big, I'm along with you with scrape hunting. Like I love primary scrapes, but I'll say, you know, 96% of scrapes that I find aren't what I consider huntable scrapes 100 you might yeah. you might be able to you might be able to kill a buck on one of them you don't know but like as far as if you want to best your odds like you're looking for something completely different and a lot of it is he said you know whether it's you know next to thick cover or you know whatever it might be i'll look for things like say you know bigger licking branches that are broke off or multiple branches showing that yeah. they've been doing it for years you know doing this yep. spot and and yeah. yeah, there's, there's a lot of different things that, that go into it that you kind of have to, you have to be able to pick up on those things on the fly and be able to make an educated decision at the same time, try not to have too much of an engineering mind where you overthink it and then you can't make a decision. Yeah. You can't get into a situation where you have like, you know, analysis paralysis, right. Where oh, it's like, yeah. you can't, you, where you can't compute things like you, at some point you has to become instinctual. Like you're a predator. You got eyes on the front of your head. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that's the, you know, we have eyes on the front of our head. We are, we're, we're predators. That's what we are supposed to be whenever we're in the woods with a bow, you know, so kind of react that way. Um, you know, so take in the information that you have and then, and then make your decision. And I don't want to make it sound like every time I set up on a, on a scrape somewhere that, that I think it's a primary scraper that it's like, that I hit the jackpot. It's like, no, I swing and I miss too. You know what I mean? Like there's times where it's like, I look, I'm like, this is the spot. And then I sit and I don't see a thing except like a groundhog, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and it happens to everybody, but like, sometimes you have to throw a hunt at that stuff to figure it out. But when you're leaving, you should ask your question, the question, why didn't I see anything? Mm-hmm. Was I, was I set up on the wrong side? Did I assume that the bedding or that they were going to be traveling from the, the wrong direction? And so they actually had my, they actually were winding me before they got there. Like, you know, and so, and then go back to the map and start to look and dissect that, you know, and, cause if that spot looked that good and it had all the things right, then what was the reason they weren't showing up? Yep. You know what I mean? And so it's just like, it's just constantly asking the question why and not being, and not being satisfied with just being like, Oh, well this just happened today. It was a bad hunt. It's like, well, there was a reason for it. You know, either you made bad choices or you set up in an area that was not the optimal setup and you gave them the upper hand, you know? And so it's, it's thinking through things like that. And I don't want to make it sound like I don't like that. I don't scout. Like I scout more than I hunt probably even on these out of state trips. It's like, you know, freelance hunting, a lot of times when I first go on these trips, it's like I won't hunt a morning, not because I don't like to hunt mornings, but because I don't know where I'm at. I don't know the terrain. 
and I'm going to walk in blind in the dark and bumble around, make a bunch of noise, probably not the best choice. So I'll wait till I have some daylight, walk in after everything's back to bed and then go figure out what my plan is and try to figure out where I'm going to set up, find hot sign, set up. If I've got a good wind for the next day, I'll leave my stuff. I come back, I hunt that in the morning. And then if I don't see what I want to see by like 1030, I pull all my stuff and I start, I start cooking boots again on the ground and going and looking for the next best setup. Cause it's that old adage of first be- sit, the best sit, you know what I mean? Type of thing. So it's like, I'm constantly chasing that first sit at the best spot that I can possibly find. And so every day I'm just kind of moving. And sometimes I'm only moving, you know, a hundred yards if I feel like I'm in the chips and I'm just like needing to kind of shift a little bit based on what the wind is doing or based on what I had observed the day before or whatever. And other times I need to put on five miles and go find, go find what I need to find, Yep. you know? And so there's no, like, there's no game plan for it. There's no script for it that you can follow, you know? And that's, I think to me is like the most exciting thing about it is that every time you go out, it's an adventure and just be open to the experience and the possibilities. And you'll, you'll end up being rewarded with more rich experiences and then also most likely with filled tags. And, and so an, another point I want to add to that is, you know, thinking about the deer density in your area can really determine things a lot too. Like yeah. I've, I've come to learn, like there was a point when I would spend a lot of time in one tree and I was being successful at it. And then when I started really bouncing around a ton, I was struggling more. And I realized that some of my areas that are such low deer density doesn't mean that because I didn't see a deer that day that it was a bad spot. It's just, I had to put some extra time in there and that's not, you know, and that's not for each area is different, but you kind of have to make those decisions in your head. And sometimes you move uh, too early and you might've saw something you don't know, or maybe it, or maybe you stay too long and you shouldn't have it. it, That comes from experience and, and figuring that out. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree with that. Cause there's, there's a piece of big woods that I hunt in out of state and it's like that, right. Where it's like, you know, when I go there, it's like, I kind of have to shift my mindset. And this is like one of the things like I'm a, you know, like we're coming up on football season and I'm a big football nerd. I'm pretty sure you're a Steeler fan as, as, as I, as I am, yeah. you know, and, uh, you know, I love, I've always loved the Steelers defense because they're multiple, right? Like they, they'll show multiple fronts. They have multiple packages, right? Like you never know who's coming, who's not right. And I kind of feel the same way about deer hunting is like, and that to me again was like, you know, it came along with like the freelance thing and, and being comfortable with the uncomfortable, you know, and challenging myself. And the idea of that being that I wanted to be as multiple as I could possibly be. And so that meant I I needed to be able to freelance hunt and be super aggressive and mobile and move on a moment's notice and sometimes move a hundred yards and sometimes move five miles, whatever it took. And then being multiple also means recognizing where I'm hunting and what's right for that particular area. Like the big woods piece that I'm referring to is I'm going to have a real hard time if I move every day, you know, because like from the experiences that we've had there, the trail cameras that we've run there, there's a window of opportunity on these ridges during rut that are going to kind of turn on like a light switch and then they're going to turn right back off. And if you don't hit that three day window, you're out of luck. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so, and so in recognizing that it's like, I have to hunt that a little bit differently, you know what I mean? And, and, and kind of be, it it takes a different strategy. And then the other idea too is, you know, not passing up huntable spots because there's not trees to get into. And so starting to hunt from the ground more, 
you know, and, and, and brushing myself in or using a ghillie jacket or whatever the case is over some of these. I've found some killer scrapes in some areas and like primary scrapes. Where you're just like, man, I want to hunt that so bad. But like I was always apprehensive about hunting from the ground, so I would pass it. And so now I've just decided I'm like, you know what, when I find it from the ground, I'm going to hunt it from the ground. Like I'm just going to just just going to do it And it. And I might blow a couple of them before I figure out how to capitalize on one of them. But I'm never going to capitalize on it if I don't try it. Yep. You know, and so, you know, and so that and what taught me that was that Iowa trip because I ended up jumping a legit 180 inch deer out of a draw in the middle of a CRP field. And the only way I could hunt him was from the ground. So I ended up hunting him for like a day. Maybe it was two. I don't remember. It was at least one day I hunted him from the ground. And I saw a couple young bucks, but he never came in. And that was when I realized that it was like, okay, I would have a legit chance at a world-class animal if I was just confident in hunting from the ground. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so that was like learning opportunity. Like, Hey, stupid, learn how to hunt from the ground more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, that's, but, that's uh, those are some really good points. And I kind of, I kind of want to shift gears a little bit here and talk about, you know, more along the lines of like when you're going on these out of state trips, um, less from the strategy standpoint and more from the planning of, all right. So when you're going to one of these places, what are you doing from a standpoint of camping and like stay or, or are you staying in a lodge? Are you staying in your truck? What, what kind of things do you find, you know, from a cost effective standpoint to a comfort and try to find that, that balance there? Yeah. I mean, for me, like one of the biggest hurdles of doing these out of state trips is always trying to find like the, you know, the living accommodations as close as you, as humanly possible to where you're going to hunt. So you're not spending time traveling. Right. Like, cause I, I hate that. Right. And also when you're at a place and you're camping at a place or you've got a lodge or you've got a cabin or whatever the case is, like you're kind of locked into that spot and you're only really able to hunt whatever public is reasonably around you. Right. And so you're really kind of, and if the hunting's bad there, whether it's a lot of pressure or one year I was at a spot where it's like, I didn't realize it until like we had got there and there was like, they had some really bad CWD or I'm sorry. Um, EH, they had really bad, uh, EH, EHD that summer. And I would have loved to have just like picked up and gone somewhere else, but it, we were, we had a place. And so we couldn't really, we couldn't really move. And so I've done everything from like tent camp to, you know, to a pool behind trailer with like two cots in it with like no amenities at all, you know, to like, a camper to like, you know, in Iowa, I had a cabin and stuff like that. But, you know, as much as I travel hunt, like what I realized was, is I wanted my ability to move to different pieces of public to be as mobile as I am when I'm in the woods. Like my, the way I get to these places needs to match how I hunt them when I'm, when I'm there, because I don't ever want to be stuck in a spot. Um, especially on a lot of these trips when I'm doing them solo and stuff like that. Cause I don't have another person with me a lot of times, a lot of times it's by myself. And so it's not like there's a, you know, anyone holding me into a spot that I have to like accommodate or whatever. And so what I ended up doing this year, you know, from a cost perspective, camping's obviously, or, you know, a tent is obviously really cheap, but there's some downsides to it with weather, especially if you're traveling later, later in the year and stuff like that. Um, you know, a, a camper's nice, but you know, I don't own one. So I'm always having to rent one. So there's always that. And you got to pick it up and just takes extra time and stuff like that. So what I ended up doing this year was I took an old cargo trailer that's a six by ten cargo trailer and I ended up converting it into like a mobile hunting uh, mobile hunting rig. I put some you know heat in it with like a vented um, propane heater. It's all powered by solar. You know I've got solar panels on the roof and a solar generator that kind of gives me all my power. You know and recharges while I'm hunting and I'm able to draw power to charge laptops and all that stuff. 
Um, and you know, I have a bunk built in it. So I, I sleep on the bunk and I can actually take a second person with me because our mutual friend, Chad Sylvester, you know, is going to be traveling with me some in it. Um, and so I have a, a setup where I can hook up a, a hammock so someone can sleep in that. And it's just really the bare necessities. And the reason why I ended up building it is because the cost efficiency over time is I have a plan, like a goal of, you know, over the course of however many years, I want to kill a respectable buck in as many, as many states as I can possibly get to is my goal. And I'm just kind of, I've coined it the, the, the DIY whitetail slam because, you know, I, I do it myself. I plan it all myself. You know, I either, I don't scout it at all and freelance hunt it, or I end up going to these places and scouting and hunting. Um, and I wanted a rig, you know, to be able to kind of be able to move around freely as much as I need to, to try to be as successful as possible. And so part of that was, you know, you know, not being tied down to a spot. So like, for example, when I go to Missouri, you know, I'm going to be hitting a piece of public on my way into Missouri, you know, that looks good to me at the moment. I'm going to spend a day scouting it. If it doesn't look good, I'm just going to keep the trailer hooked up and keep driving to the next spot and hit a couple different pieces of public land that I've looked at on the map. And then I'm going to validate it. And then once I find the spot that says, Either either the sign looks right or like a combination of like the sign and lack of pressure looks right. Okay, this is where I'm going to be, you know, and it might be I only spend three days there and I might be off to another piece of public. But I wanted the the flexibility to be able to make that to make that call and those changes on the fly and not be stuck in a spot, essentially. And it also helps for scouting, too, because I got some places I want to scout to where it's like, you know, there's not really cabins around. I don't want to do an Airbnb. So if I just have something, I can just kind of trailer along with me and live off the side of the road somewhere, you know, in a van down by the river <laughs> and get done what I need to get done, then, then awesome. You know? And so that's kind of, that's kind of what my, my mode of transportation is now or what my living accommodations are now, at least for this year. And I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I think it'll work out. Yeah. I think, I think that's a really cool. I've been watching your build and for anyone who wants to check it out, he's got Clint Scott on his YouTube channel. You can check out his build process and everything there, which is, really awesome i love seeing that kind of stuff and you yeah. know I, I love the idea of just like mobile hunting camps in general like i i've done that for a while with elk hunting and i've done it mm-hmm. for whitetails too but like for elk hunting i realized i needed to if i wasn't going to backpack hunt, i wanted to be able to bounce around areas where i was finding elk and so i i i put a you know i put a, a tent on the roof of my topper on my mm-hmm. truck and and in that case i can take it down in less than five minutes i can pop it down throw keep everything in the bed of my truck and go you know and move spots and and you know just i i just geek out on continually being more efficient with that kind of stuff and and you yeah. know, the trailer idea i think is so cool from the standpoint of like you can stand up in there like you can change you can you know hang out yeah. it's not a weird thing you know you and your buddy in a truck tent would get a little bit awkward, but, uh, <laughs> right. You yeah. know? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, it's set up to the point to where it's like, you know, um, you know, two people will be tight. Um, but it's, but, it, but it's doable and you're really only sleeping there, you know, but I also looked at it from the perspective, like the one kind of blessing out of all this like pandemic stuff is, is like, I work predominantly from home now and chances of like me actually going back to the office full time are probably pretty slim, you know, cause I've kind of like, reacclimated myself to work remotely. And so what that does is like, you know, I've built this setup now and we're actually going to put a, a cell extender on it to where I can actually get enough cell signal if I'm somewhere kind of remote to where I can work from it. And so I can work in the morning from it and go get it, go catch an evening hunt. And so I'm planning to do that this October where 
otherwise I wouldn't have gotten an, an extra trip to one of these out of state places. I'm going to get an extra trip in cause I'm actually going to go hunt a long weekend and work part of that week from my, from the, from the trailer using cell service in a hotspot essentially, you know, and then I build a DIY shower. That's all like propane run. So it's a, it's a tank, a hot, a tankless hot water heater shower that all fits into a briefcase. And then you just pop it out. Boom. You got a shower. You can take it inside or outside, whatever the case is. And you're, and you're, and you're good to go. And so it's like, I kind of have everything I need in it, but it's all very like compartmentalized and, you know, and, and built like in such a way that's like really, you know, really small and compact. So it all kind of fits the foot, you know, the footprint that I have of the thing. Cause it's only 60 square feet when you yeah. get down to it, you know what I mean? So, um, you know, but for me, it was, um, knowing that I'm going to live out of this thing for multiple weeks at a time every year, you know, I, I wanted something, you know, cause I, I almost went the tent route that you went, you know, cause I started looking at those last year and was kind of thinking about it. Um, you know, and then unfortunately this year, my grandfather passed away and this was actually his trailer. And so my grandmother wanted to get rid of it. And so I was like, well, I'll buy it. Cause she wasn't selling it for much. And I was like, you know, I'll buy it and perfect. You know, I'll, just, you know, I'll use this as my first conversion, you know? And so, it ended up working well, and it, and it was, uh, you know, my grandpap, so that's kind of cool too. Yeah, that's he'll be uh, able to go on these hunts with, on these hunts with me. Yeah, that's that's a really cool aspect to it, and and yeah, I, th- I think that's just going to be incredible. I can't wait to hear your experiences from hunting out of it, and you know, and you know, maybe at some point someday I'll get to spend a night in there, and we can camp together. Dude, you're totally going to spend a night in there because I'm going to come out. <laughs> by, I'm going to come out by you one of these days. Hey you know, and do some hunting out that way. And that's, that's kind of part of the reason there's, there's a couple of places, even in just in Pennsylvania, I want to get to, to where, you know, I, I need to be able to get there and like live for a couple of days. Cause some of these travel trips, man, like, you know, you know what I mean? When you're traveling to go scout or something like that, it's, it's hard to say I'm going to go scouting, you know, and, and just spend two days doing it or whatever. And you're traveling nine hours or whatever. It's, you know, it's like you do it cause you love it. But at the same time, you're like, man, I wish I could stay for four or five. And so now it's like the way I look at it is like, well, now I can do that because now yeah. I can go stay for four or five and I can just get up in the morning and scout for a couple hours, go work out of the cabin or out of the trailer and then go scout in the evening while I have a little bit of daylight left, if that's possible, you know, depending on what time of year it is and get a, le- a little extra time in. You well, know? If, you, so, if you come hunt with me, you can even work out of my house with Wi-Fi and then, and then uh, <laughs> get, go hunt from that way too. <laughs> you get all that fancy stuff up in that area yeah you? all that fancy wi-fi <laughs> out here i got no i got no cell service at my house but i got wi-fi so that works nice Look at that. You're, you're in business yeah that's awesome yeah. yeah i'm looking forward to it man it should be it should be uh it should be cool you know i'm hoping to have some some good stories you know can podcast out of it of course you know when i do these trips i usually podcast like every other day yeah. on these trips and stuff like that so um, it's all set up for that. You know, it's like, I didn't just do it you know, like whimsically, whimsically, if that's a word, I don't even know if that's a word. We'll go um, with it. We'll go with it. Um, but I actually made my bunk bed the height that I would want for a stand up desk. That way I can just pull my mattress back and, and use it as a stand up desk. That's sick. So, yeah. So it's like, I kind of thought through everything, you know, I, I think about things sometimes, you know, and this, and this, I actually did, you know, so, which is good. Yeah, I'm I'm really pumped to hear like just like I said your experience with it and and you know if if anything this shows like you know whether it's a um, a cargo trailer or anything else just showing people that there's so many different options for these DIY hunts and you know whatever your budget is like you can fit it like it oh yeah all, it all depends on what you want you know out of it and if you 
if you feel more comfortable getting an Airbnb cabin and you got the budget to do it for seven days, then do it. I mean, do yeah. whatever feels right for you. And, and there's just so many different. Yeah. I mean, cause someone had asked me, you know, um, how much, you know, did some of the stuff cost or whatever. And like, and, and I'll be completely honest, like, you know, if I didn't have a podcast and do some filming and stuff like that, it would have cost me a lot less, you know, because to be truthful, because I had to kind of over index on, you know, things like solar power and like the size of like the, the battery that I was going to have and stuff like that to have enough juice to make sure I can, you know, charge my laptop and keep all my gear charged and work from it remotely if I need to. So there were some like things that I was adding on because I wanted certain capabilities you yeah. know, I wanted to be able to leave for a week and I wanted to be able to completely work remotely and do my job from, from that if I needed to. And so, you know, it's critical that I have power and that all my stuff stays charged. You know what I mean? So I went, you know, got a more expensive version of like my solar capability than, than the average person, if they want to, if they want to just go out for like three or four days at a time in it, like I wouldn't have done exactly what I've done. So it can be scaled to what you need it to do, but I'm going to live in this thing for weeks at a time. I need to be able to function as like a, adult with a job yeah you know, yeah yeah. On, I, on yeah. These, on these trips you know what i mean and so otherwise it's like the one year with chad like he and i lived for 10 days in the back of his cargo trailer with like a an electric heater and we had a campsite that had a shore power hookup and we ran an extension cord and we cooked everything with a crock pot we had no lights no nothing you know what i mean and then we did that for 10 days and so you know that's just as well too man yeah i i completely agree well clint i think uh i think that's just about wraps up this podcast i think uh i i think that was a lot of good information there and and just I, I love the planning phases of this so like for anyone looking to do it or if you have done it like enjoy that part too because that's like a, a lot that goes in it the scouting and the anticipation and then going in and having fun with it like don't you know i i struggle with it too but don't make it seem like a job when you're out there you know enjoy the enjoy the process and and, uh, I, I think, you know, looking at somebody from like Zach Farrenbaugh, who seems like one of the happiest guys in the world, like just, right. <laughs> you know, just make it, make it fun and, you know, gear it towards your goals. And that's going to determine how, how you plan the hunt and how it goes. Yeah. You'll be surprised how freeing it is when you drop all the extra BS and you just go out and hunt like a predator. Yeah. I like it, man. Awesome. And with your predator platform, nice little plug there for tether. Oh, I didn't even mean to do that. There <laughs> uh, you go, Greg. Greg. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, Clint, um, where can people find, you know, some, you know, your podcast, uh, social media, your YouTube, stuff like that. So they can go check out these things. Yeah. So, you know, the, the podcast is truth from the stand, uh, deer hunting podcast. You can find that on, you know, every platform that has, that has podcast, iTunes, YouTube, Stitcher, all those, you know, Spotify, all those good places. I'm right there along with Joe Rogan. I'm about a hundred million shy of Joe Rogan, but I'm on the same platform. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, YouTube channel is truth from the stand. Uh, I'm most active on social on, on Instagram and, and, and Facebook, but Instagram, you know, uh, for the most part, if you have questions about freelance hunting or anything like that, I've got some videos about that on my YouTube channel, the trailer build. I chronicled that on the YouTube channel as well. But otherwise, if you have any specific questions or whatever, you know, um, send me a message on on Instagram. I'm happy to chat with you. If you have a map you want me to take a look at or whatever, I'm happy to do that and, and point you in the wrong direction just as I would point myself. 
<laughs> I love it. <laughs> awesome, man. Well, it's as always, great time chatting with you and uh, can't wait to see how the season rolls out for us. You too, buddy. I appreciate you having me on, man. It's always fun hanging out with you and good luck to you too, man. Hope to see you soon. All right. See you, buddy. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit eastmeetswesthunt.com, Facebook at East Meets West Outdoors, and Instagram at East Meets West Hunt. If you enjoyed today's episode, please review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time.